Kickpod acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast. The Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the Kickpod, your weekly DM on the stuff that matters. Hi, hello. How are you? I am. I'm wonderful. I'm a bit out of breath because I just ran from the loo. Yes, to and from. Had to be quick. I she knew I couldn't get through. Seconds. We'd recorded the episode for today, which I'm so excited to share with everyone. Uh, we are. Sorry, not me. I, okay. Are you excited? Yeah, I am excited. Okay, <laughs> confirm that. <laughs> um, and then we recorded uh, the ad and then I was like, I know I cannot get through the intro part of the podcast mm. without going to the bathroom. Otherwise, I'll be jiggling around the whole time. <laughs> Anyway, does, I have to jiggles. say, I did wash my hands, okay. obviously, like That's properly, nice. Thank you but I didn't us. close my, I mean, can I ask you a question actually? Yeah. Have you ever closed your Apple, on your Apple watch, Yeah. your your hygiene ring? Oh, it's not hygiene. <laughs> hygiene ring? <laughs> what? <laughs> hygiene ring. I do not have a hygiene ring on my Apple watch. I'm a special edition, Ted. No. <laughs> oh my God, sorry. It's not a hygiene ring. <laughs> What are you on? <laughs> You're having your watch sign. <laughs> you were not hygienic enough today. <laughs> Get out of bed. You're only 80% hygienic. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know where this came what from. What are you talking when about? You wa- well, maybe you are unhygienic because you don't even know. When you start washing your hands, so the only time I've ever – so your Apple Watch detects you're washing your hands oh. and it goes, this step is not hygienic. <laughs> is that new? Because, no, oh. it's been there for ages. It probably came at the start of COVID. But you wash your hands and then it starts a timer of 20 seconds. Oh, I would I love to – so the only time I've closed it is when I'm doing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually crying. I would actually love to know. It's something I think about a lot. Does anyone ever wash their hands for 20 seconds? No, and obviously five. there's a reason Apple has 20 seconds. It's probably how long you're meant to. It is. As I kiss the microphone. Like, <laughs> well, wow. they taught us. Drink Speaking COVID. Hygiene, adverts, so long long hygiene ring I think you're supposed to sing the ABCs. That's how you che- teach children. Or anyway. you <laughs> A, B, C. See, does anyone spend that much? Well, just then no, I came. I, not. I went to the bathroom. Also, people in our, we're in the commons and where, where the podcast room is is not on the same level as our office. I People would have thought, like, why is this person sprinting through the office? Um, well, I Would they to. have not thought that if we were on our level, would they? <laughs> anyway, but I got back in a minute, did not have 20 seconds to wash my hands, but I do want to know, does anyone ever close that ring? No, I, well, I didn't even know it exists, okay. so obviously not <laughs> me. That's embarrassing. <laughs> Zero hygiene ring points for you. <laughs> okay, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am good. <laughs> wow, Steph has come with all of the things today. No, I'm good. I am I'm good. good. <laughs> I'm good. It sounds like a song. I'm day. good. I'm really good. <laughs> uh, no, I, I am. I'm, I'm really good. The only. <laughs> you know what? I will say. I will. I will give a bit of an update for anyone that has maybe missed this on my stories. But the other day, I. It did have a bit of a, a sob. It did a, a bit of a tear at night um, and I wasn't good in that moment. And it was because I have lost my childhood teddy. So my childhood teddy long legs, which I had had, 
I reckon I was about five when mum and dad got him for me and I slept with him every night until I was like 21. The only nights I didn't sleep with him was like if I was at a partner's, if my uh, boyfriend and sleeping over. I wouldn't take my teddy with me. Wait, how old did you go to sleepovers at boys' houses? As soon as I was 18. Oh, I was like 13. I was like, oh. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, that would have been fine. No. But honestly, I took him everywhere. So you had him for a long time? Long time. Every school camp, he was there. Every time I travelled overseas for modelling, he was at least in my suitcase. Like, he came everywhere with me. Lived in New York with me. He was my little buddy. Um, And I was so excited, I think, Anyone that has a toy that they were really close with, I think, growing up or has a lot of sentimental value would understand. But I think especially if you are now a mum, there's something really special about seeing what toys your child gravitate towards. And Long Legs was a teddy that um, Harvey is often like pulled out of his toy box into his cot. And for me, that just like absolutely melts my heart. And I, I like, I'm not going to lie, I really tried to make sure that he liked him as much as I did. Because they've emptied you know? the whole toy box and just put him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and I did something stupid and put him in the pram with Harvey. And I've he's been in the pram a couple of times and have, has made it home and it's been totally fine. But I think that's where I lost him because I went to go for a walk the other day with Harvey and he wasn't in there. And he's literally nowhere else to be found. So I think he might have either been – he might have either fallen out on a walk or we might have thrown him because he often throws things. He takes off his beanie all the time and throws it on the floor when we're on walks. Uh, and he's been lost. And I was, I'm, I'm still really hopeful because there's been – like his beanie, for example, and his blanket from his pram – you know, we've gone for a walk a day or two later and someone's hung them up on the park bench. Like people just do that, I think, with anything that looks like it belongs to a child because they know they're so going to be missed. it looks like it belongs to an adult, do people Oh, okay. It? No, okay. <laughs> that's true. Anything that's like lost and found that's not like no, do I'm going to throw this out. Can I say something? And it's mm-hmm. probably – we probably shouldn't think like this, but if I see a child sing on the ground, I will, I'm like, oh, it's clean and cute. But if it's like a jump, like a dirty jumper that's like – yeah, you rained on. I'm like, oh, isn't that funny? It's weird. But for isn't a child it? seeing you're like, no, I need to hang this up yeah. and make sure it's obvious. I know, it's so weird. Anyway, having come across him, I'm hoping by the time this episode airs, I magically come across him. Um, but if I don't, what I'm choosing to believe has happened is what happened in Toy Story 3 when Bonnie left the childcare centre and found Woody hanging in the tree and she loved him so much. She just popped him in his backpack and then took him home and started playing with him with all of her other toys and just loved him so much. And so I'm choosing to believe that some child found long legs on their walk, shoved him in the backpack and he's having a lot of fun with their toys and is being loved. That's what I'm choosing to believe. I'm not choosing to believe that there is any human out there who would have seen him and thrown him in the bin. I probably will. <laughs> See, now I feel really bad because I was I was about to say what? I didn't have a childhood toy to and anything. I don't have a child. So <laughs> I What would you have done if you saw was, a teddy on the floor? I probably would have just been like you probably put just it, would have I wouldn't have put it in the bin. Please tell me you wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I would have put it. I probably would have picked it up, depending yeah, yeah. on how clean it looked. Because you know, yeah. I have to wash my hands for twenty seconds. At the very least, seconds. you would have just kept walking. So I do feel for you. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm sorry. It's going to be fine. I'm going to get over it. It's that just, you're not actually really good. It's just you're, <laughs> like you said at the start of the episode. No, we're going to find it. Yeah. And do you know why we're going to find it? Why? Because I'm going to give you my new streak of luck. You have a new streak of luck? Yeah, because I had a bad streak of luck. I was going to so say, now really... I'm on a new leaf and I'm pushing okay. that 
stuff to you. You really I need to tell everyone about your, your last week. I promise. Had. <laughs> like you are, you are, we're actually so funny downstairs when I was getting a coffee. I was talking about how I spilt my entire coffee this morning on the couch. Yes. And they were like, oh, you sound like Laura. And I was like, I know. It's a very <laughs> – everyone knows Laura is very classy. <laughs> so could you tell everyone Well, can I just here? say also the coffee shop is the one in our office building. It's not like every coffee shop no. knows that Laura is clumsy. Like, I was in yeah, uh, Bendigo. Yeah, you have a story for her every week, <laughs> almost every day. I'm an overshare too. Um, anyway, yes, so this is actually my special share because this intro has gone way too long. <laughs> Because that's why. Uh, and also it's a special day to hopefully make you laugh because yes. it was humiliating. Yeah. So I caught the train to work. Which I have this new yeah. – that's sorry, that's my special share. I have not taken public transport for a long time mm-hmm. since maybe – oh, after I did take it to uni sometimes like the bus and stuff but it's probably been like five years or something. Yeah. I used to catch public transport every single day and then once you stop doing it, you just forget yeah. about it. Yeah. Anyway, so I was like, oh, I'm not catching a train anymore or whatever. And we live like maybe a 10-minute slow walk, but like I can run it in two minutes, um, two wow. to three minutes from Easy. the station. And I've been catching the train. Oh, because of the huntsman in my car, I started mm. catching a train. Mm. I love it. Mm. I don't stress in the morning. I don't worry that I'm going to be late. Like I just – I'm anyway, highly recommend if you – haven't been as open to public transport, give it another go. <laughs> it's also good for the environment. Um, so there's that. And then so I got off the train at South Yarra Station where our office is, mm. crossed the road. So mm. I'm on Turak Road. Mm-hmm. Busy, Busy. Lots of people just got off the tram. It's yeah. out the front of the tram stop. Also a lot of people got off the train because there's 85,000 mm. trains that run through there. Mm. Anyway, I'm walking. I have a bit of a trip. And then also as I do that, my plastic, my plastic, my paper bag, mm. I decided to put my lunch in. Silly, silly me, my glass container. Mm. Also, it is our friend's glass container. It's not even mine and I shouldn't have taken it because I need to give it back to her and now I need, well, I'm need. i going to have to obviously replace it. <laughs> so I feel bad. Carl, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's your container. But I was – yeah, so it fell out the bottom of yeah. the bag. Smash. My phone smashed as well. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even worried about that at the time because I, I was like, oh, it's just the bottom bit. It's but also when you're embarrassed, you just you just like – I was mortified. So this yeah. lunch, the glass went – it was so loud. People were like, are you okay? And I was like – it was yes I am okay but I so I was like oh my god and it was like chicken I'd made the one pan um kick fajita Uh, bake thing so it was like capsicum that had been roasted so a bit slimy slimy onion um some chicken everywhere so I had some kick pasta in there too mushrooms um cheese it was just a lot of things and it fully smushed like I reckon 50 centimeters yeah. diameter yeah. right it yeah. was a lot yeah so anyway so I was like I can't obviously leave this here so I put my bag down got down on the floor started picking it up all the food and I got like all and this slimy stuff or the glass then I'm like oh my god gross there's blood on the floor like I'm gonna get blood on me and then I was like oh it's my blood there's blood going all over my fingers like it was so embarrassing and then this beautiful girl I think she she gave me her I was a bit uh, like overwhelmed Sorry, yeah I'm quite sure she emptied something that she had in her bag for her lunch which I think was chips in and gave me her Ziploc bag. Oh. So I didn't get her name or anything, but like if I don't, obviously she, I don't think she'd be listening. It's like, so wow. like, who do I think I am? No, 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 absolutely not. But that, this mm. beautiful girl gave me her Ziploc bag to then, so I didn't have to use my hands. Mm. So that was really helpful. Then I piled all the stuff on, it took me five minutes to pick. So I'm on the ground on track road, picking up food splatter. People <laughs> were walking past me. Like I was a car crash. Like they obviously weren't going to come down and start doing it. Yeah. Some lady offered, started picking the glass up. I was like, oh my God, this is not your problem. Please mm. do not worry. Mm. 
But that was like, I was a car crash. They were like, oh, ha bad morning. <laughs> get walking. And I was like, yes, I know. Anyway, so I pile it all into the brown paper bag. Get up, drop the brown paper bag again. <laughs> then I have to pick it all up again. And I was like, at this point, I was like, this is just mortifyingly embarrassing. There was also a lovely man that just started talking to me because I think he felt so sorry for me <laughs> that I was just on the ground by myself. And then one of our new team members who only just joined our team, Harriet, then got off. She'd got off another train. She saw me on the ground. She was like, Laura. And I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> anyway, she was wearing white pants and white shoes. And I got blood on both of her <laughs> pants and shoes. And I feel so bad. Like, what? Are, we don't welcome people to the, the company with blood, <laughs> do we? Anyway, then my phone. I found out when I got to the office, actually didn't turn on anymore. Mm. So it was a morning. Mm. It was a morning. And then I did the thing where it was, you know how there's three bad things happen to you? Well, that's what I believe. So I had dropped my lunch, broke my phone. I was like, I'm going to take control of the universe verse. So then I deliberately burnt my throat with my soup. So then I could take control of the third thing. Oh (laughs) my God, you're a psycho. But then I got home and I got a parking fine in my car out the front of my house. So the the front of your house? The universe already served me (laughs) my third one. Anyway, so that was, sorry, I tried to tell that really quickly. It wasn't quick, but it was, it was a lot. That's a day. (laughs) So now I've got good energies onto you. We're going to find your teddy. Thank you. Do you have a special care? <laughs> or is your special share to find the teddy? I, I would like that. But I will say something that I can't believe I didn't bring up last week because it's my favourite show ever is The Voice. The Voice is back on and I've been consuming it heavily every night. Love it. Love it so much. I, it brings Feel me happy things every time just because it, people are so bloody talented. Yes. And there's really great talent on there this year in particular. I mean, I feel like I say that every season, but highly recommend. Love it. Love talent Thank shows. You. Cool. <laughs> So do you want to quickly go through our kick mentions and yeah. then we'll get into today's podcast. So World Pilates Day is tomorrow. We are recording this on Friday, so it'll be Saturday. But we are so excited because we have got an event with the community. We're going to do a cardio Pilates session with Christina. And yeah, it's just going to be a really great way to celebrate World Pilates Day because we love Pilates here at Kick, and obviously by the time you're listening to and this, and the community loves passed. Pilates. It's community one of our most popular Pilates. workout styles. So really, really excited to do that, and we are so obsessed with Pilates at Kick. You will find in the app that we've got traditional Pilates, we've got cardio Pilates, and of course we've got our Kick Bump pre and postnatal Pilates. But we also have something very new, very exciting dropping next week, which might have something to do with Pilates. Oh, my God. This is a very exciting drop. This is, I I think I'm going to put it out there, my favorite workout type yeah it's, we have ever it's and I good. didn't think it was going to be yeah but filming these work oh my god I am so this date I've been like counting it down yeah. again I haven't wanted to do the classes until we can do them together yeah. but it oh I yeah. am so excited it's amazing uh that's all we can say but we will be announcing this on our kick socials this Friday so just keep an eye out it's very exciting get excited particularly if you're into Pilates And now for today's conversation, we had the wonderful Gina Rushton on the podcast. So Gina is an editor, reporter, and she is the author of her first book, The Most Important Job in the World. And the reason I say her first book, I hope it isn't just her only book. I hope then there's like second and third because the way that Gina writes is 
is really incredible. Uh, I am highly, highly recommending this book. I'm getting through it at the moment. We speak about it in the this podcast um, and, yeah, it was such a good chat. Oh, yeah, and she's just – I feel like she is – so relatable in the way that, you know, when she talks about her own kind of navigating that decision of like whether or not you want to become a parent. I I love the way she speaks about it. So I think you guys are going to love this chat. Really hope you do. Gina, welcome to the Kick Pod. We are so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited too. (laughs) I've been uh, reading and devouring your book. I'm nearly finished. I'm absolutely (laughs) loving it. Every second that I have time, even when I started reading it when I was walking this morning and then I thought, mm, this is very dangerous for me because I'm very clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> she is. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's an incredible piece of work. Oh, thank you. So to start off, we wanted to ask you if you could write the copy for your intro and intro yourself however you like, what would you say? I guess I'm, it's pretty boring. I'm a journalist and um, an editor and an author and for a very long time, I reported on reproductive rights and healthcare. So that's kind of what I did for a long time. And yeah, and I just put a book out. That's kind of it. I love how like, humble What do you mean? Like, that's it. It's, <laughs> no, it's so amazing. boring. <laughs> there are a lot of journalists. There are a lot of authors. And most of them are insufferable. <laughs> I feel like we need to add some things in there. You're an incredible journalist. You've had an amazing career and you are an incredible storyteller yeah, and writer. What are they called? Not adjectives. Oh, some extra words in there. <laughs> thanks. Now, I, we also would love if you could touch on, Gina, you went through a pretty traumatic experience with your own reproductive health. Um, if you're comfortable sharing, yeah. of course, would you mind telling us what happened and how this impacted you? Yeah, so basically I just woke up one morning I slept at my boyfriend's house and I had re- a really bad cramping. And to be honest, we'd had really spicy Thai food the night before. So I thought that <laughs> maybe that was the cause, but I just couldn't, like, I couldn't get off the floor. It was like the worst pain I'd ever had. And I ended up in an ambulance and I was actually really, I was really paranoid that it was my IUD because it was my second IUD. And I'd also just the day before published this fact check on like all the misconceptions about IUDs and how perforation never really happens. And then I was like, oh my God, I've said this is safe. And now like, what if it's the IUD? Um, But I got to hospital and uh, they basically did an internal ultrasound and found that I was bleeding out of my uterus and into my pelvic cavity. And they said that my ovary was dead, um, which even... As a reproductive healthcare reporter, I'd never heard of, I didn't know your ovary could die. And they said, like, we basically, we need to go in and cut it out and that'll affect fertility, obviously, because it's another place where, you know, it's one less place where you can produce an egg. And we can talk about that when it's out. And I had decided a long time um, before that, that I really didn't want kids. And so I was really surprised about how upset I was and... In the end, like my ovary was alive, um, but they did find endometriosis, which was just like the classic endo story. Like I'd always had really bad period pain and thought that that was just the way periods were. And I'd had an IUD, which really manages the symptoms of endo. So I probably just because I hadn't menstruated in a long time, like known that that's what was going on. But um, so I think there were two things that kind of happened. Like one was I'd sort of realized that the endo would mean that I might have to make this decision a little quicker than most people, but also that that decision wasn't settled in the way that I thought it was. So it wasn't that I kind of thought, oh no, I actually do want kids. It was just like, oh, I have actually more, I need a bit more time to figure this out. So that was sort of the, 
I guess, the catalyst for the book. And now the book. Yes. So it's called for everyone, you have to, everyone listening, you have to read it. It's called The Most Important Job in the World. And it explores this question of how do we know if, I mean, amongst other things, how do we know if we want to have children? Yeah. How, obviously, what happened to you was the, the catalyst to, to the book. Mm. Was that the, once that happened, did you just think, I need to put this into a book because I feel like this is something that so many people with ovaries go through? Or was there something else that, where, how did you go from kind of this, the experience that you went through that was obviously really traumatising to this book? And putting it all down because there's a lot of work that's gone into it. Yeah, it's funny. Like I think I knew – I'd known for a long time that I wanted to write something about everything I'd picked up reporting on reproductive rights because when you're reporting in that space, you have to be very – for good reason, you have to be very impartial and very straight down the line on the page. And there was a lot that I witnessed and experienced in all the interviews I'd done that I just knew one day I would just – like to be really honest about in a book and so that book that idea for a book was kind of separate from this question of whether I wanted to have or not I wanted to have kids but then I realized that the two were really related like that all the work that I'd done had really impacted about how I thought about whether I wanted kids and so it all just kind of came together in the same book and then I guess overlaid over that is the bigger questions that I wanted to explore around um you know, because I think when you think about the question of whether or not you want kids, it brings up all this stuff about how you feel about yourself and how you feel about your relationships, but also like how you feel about the world and how the world will look beyond you, you know, because it forces you into a time beyond yourself. Um, so all of it just kind of came together in the same thing. And I realized it was actually just the one book. So incredible. And even, I mean, one of those things that is happening to the world, uh, which actually came up as a common concern was climate change, which is a very scary thought, mm. but obviously completely valid. Are you able to share a bit of insight to this, you know, when people were, when you were interviewing people and they were bringing up climate change? Could you explain that? Yeah, so it was, it's really interesting. Like, so I did about 40 interviews for the book. About 30, I think, made it in. But basically in every single interview, even for the chapters that weren't about climate change, climate change came up as a factor in people's decision making, which I thought was really interesting but I do think that it's changed a bit from like I don't know if you remember this like a few years ago when people would talk about climate change in terms of family planning and it was always a little bit of a it was kind of like a personal guilt like people felt like well I can't bring another child into the world because I don't want to create another carbon footprint and I don't want to you know create a baby that produces nappies and like all of that kind of thing and it was really this like a big problem that really should be more the risk not that we don't have individual responsibilities like I have a keep cup like everyone else but you know this idea that like we should feel really guilty about our decisions and it's our tiny personal choices that matter much more than whether like the government's building another coal mine and so I think that that was really interesting in my discussions like I found that that sort of personal guilt had really shifted into more of like an anger where where it was like well actually I do, for a lot of people, I do want kids and these questions should be asked of like governments and businesses of how they're going to help fix this rather than like making the size of my family small or non-existent, not non-existent, but Mm. without kids. Yeah. That's such a good point. I think as obviously as individuals, it's it's kind of that saying that if everyone does a little bit, then we'll make a big impact. There's that. But then it's kind of like we can all do a little bit. But then if the people leading our company are doing nothing, our company, our country, it's 
you know, we're, all these little things that we're sacrificing, like it needs to be, it needs to come from the top. So no, I yeah. completely agree. And I think it's an unfair pressure to put on people that do want to have children because mm. it's like this guilt mm. yeah. that maybe isn't isn't fair <laughs> to, to hold all in yourself. Yeah, totally. And like, it's just, you know, it's the systems that need to, like even like the cloth nappy debate and whatever. Like I interviewed <laughs> yeah. someone in the book who made so many efforts to have this like zero waste baby and she was having cloth nappies and stuff. And then she found out that we're so, in Australia, it's kind of not even that useful because we're so dependent on coal for our like energy system so she's washing these cloth and like the whole maths of it and it's like oh god like those tiny choices she's making like what if a fossil fuel executive (laughs) made a few different choices (laughs) so yeah yeah. but I mean there's like as well as that there's just so much anxiety like we all went through the bushfire season and I don't know about you but for my friends that was like a really big moment in really thinking oh shit like if I have kids is this what every few summers is going to look like and you know, mm. it's it's mm. scary. I wanted to ask you as well, with everything that's going on in America right now, mm-hmm. with the abortion laws, how do you feel about that? I mean, in the first section of the book, mm-hmm. the way that you explore so many different stories about abortion and why people have them, I had there's a few or quite a few tea, like water droplets in the book because when I was reading those pages just hearing people's stories and how for some people it's such a like they just are so I suppose narrow-minded and thinking it's like you they're just not it shouldn't happen mm. you shouldn't be allowed to have them mm. but then that doesn't take into account you know the fact that people might not be able to afford to bring the children in the world the child could be a child that came about by the person being raped. Mm. Like there's all of these things that can happen. Um, And then people might, you know, have tried to do it in their backyard Mm. because they couldn't access it and and they had to like sacrifice their rent to be able to travel across state. There's this, there's so, and in reading that, I felt almost a little bit, I suppose, ashamed of myself that I didn't realise that it was not accessible to everyone in Australia. Mm. And then to see what's going on in America. How has that made you feel? Are you like... I feel angry, but mm. you've done so much work on this. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I do feel angry and I feel quite angry because I think that like if you have thought a lot, like, you know, and, and I should say like it's a really common procedure, but there's a reason why, you know, it is one of the most common medical procedures, but people don't talk about their abortions. So there's so we don't, you know, it's completely normal that people don't understand the access situation because like most people just do it and they never talk about it again. And like for many of the women that I interviewed, it was the first time they told anyone, like not just, um, you know, not as it wasn't a regular interview situation, but I think, um, with what's going on in America, I think it, it's pretty infuriating because I think that this was always going to happen. And I think it's hard, it's hard to explain, but like, these rights are so fragile. Like, I think there's this myth that like we've won them and then we have them forever. You know, like we've decriminalized abortion in Queensland and then like no one can take that away. But actually like laws get repealed and changed all the time on the whim of governments. And like, you have to have, people need to be really vocal. And like, even in in the US, you see like the Democrats coming out and condemning like what's happening and saying like, but you know, like they're in government and they, 
they couldn't even in their statement, it wasn't until like seven paths down that they even said the word abortion. And like, if you, you can't really protect something that you're not willing to kind of stand up and, and kind of support because you're scared of losing like a religious vote or, or whatever the political, political anxiety is. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just the other thing that's just like when you, all the research shows that when you criminalize abortion or you make it hard to access, all you're doing is making unsafe abortions. Like it doesn't stop. If someone wants to terminate a pregnancy, I've seen people do go through extraordinary lengths to access the money, to max out credit cards, to travel, like people to, to, to buy, you know, even buy abortion drugs where they should, like people will access the termination. All you're doing is making sure that they might not have access to medical care if they need it. So, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, there's no like way to make it. It's depressing. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. It's hard. I saw a, I think it was a tweet and it was about a picture of a screenshot of an American panel oh, on the TV and it was all men like yeah. debating this thing that happens to women's bodies and, yeah. and people with ovaries bodies. I just, anyway, it's infuriating. Um, and yeah, thank you for what you wrote on it and all the research that you did. Um, it was it was really hard to read, but I think it's really, really important the, the more education we can have on the topic. I wanted to ask as well, for you, obviously, in writing uh, your career, a lot of your career has been writing about reproductive rights mm-hmm. and, and women's health. And then in writing this book and doing all the interviews, has it changed how you feel about parenthood? Or did you think, actually, can I reframe this question? Yeah. Did you think in writing this book... You would know by the end of it if you wanted to have children or not. And did you? I, I mean, I know I'm kind of alluding to I, – I feel – well, in reading the book, you <laughs> do not. But <laughs> you talked about so I think I went into it with a very, like, naive journalistic thing. Like, I gave myself a deadline. I said, like, in within nine months I'm going to write the book and I'm within nine months I'm going to decide if I want to have a kid or not. And that was just, like, so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> like, you know – I went in and I also went in being like, well, the reasons that I don't want kids are very like rational and intellectual. It's about climate change. It's about the nature of workplace. It's about gender relations when really like those were all factors, but like the, the, and I think, I mean, you'll say this as you get closer to the end of the book, but the, the things that became really apparent for me was that there was a lot about my relationship with myself and my relationship with others. And it became a much more emotional decision and personal decision than I probably would want to admit. Um, so yeah, I did think I would solve it, but I also, but I guess it's, such, it's not a very satisfying answer, but I think that what I did, what did happen, which I'm so grateful for was it gave me the opportunity on the page, which is where I do my best thinking is, is to work through like, what were my biggest misgivings about motherhood and, and what, how did I feel about motherhood and why was I so suspicious of it and why was I so opposed to it? And I do think reporting on reproductive rights has really shaped that because I spent, you know, every day for four years engaging with people who thought that if you have a uterus, you have to make a child with it. And that made me really resentful of the notion that like I should do that just because I have a uterus. So there's a lot of, (laughs) that's my unique baggage that I bring to the question. (laughs) But it, yeah, I mean, like, it's a it's a question I'm sure, not I'm sure, I know people ponder on for years and years, so um, it's all right that you didn't work it out in nine months. <laughs> in all of your studies, um, you know, you've also looked into, obviously, infertility and everything. Yeah. 
would love to know if learning the statistics on that, you know, the fact that one in six um, Australian couples, you know, that are within the birthing age uh, experience infertility that's obviously a huge number but I feel like we've spoken about this on the podcast before that in school you know you're just taught about how not to have a baby Mm. Um, you're not really taught much about infertility or troubles Mm. Um, has that impacted your your decision or your your thoughts on it at all knowing that stat. Yeah, definitely. And I think that like, you know, for most of the book, the question is, should I, should I, should I, should I? But then like, there's a whole chapter where I have to admit, well, could I? And yeah. And how does that, and not just could I, but could I open myself up to, to not being successful if I do, if, what if I finally decided I wanted, wanted a kid and then, and then it wasn't going to happen for me. And I think that you're right. Like we're told that we're this like ticking, time bombs of just like you know pregnancy waiting to if happen you have sex that's not protected you're gonna have a baby yeah totally and and I and I mean god there's so much even more to say about um you know I think most men don't even understand how their fertility declines with age too like that's a whole other discussion but it's really hard at this age and I and it's really hard you know the whole book is really about balancing hope and fear and I think nowhere is that more evident than fertility infertility like you you yeah you have to open yourself up to possibly failing I don't say failing as though like it's anyone's fault but things not working out and so many of the couples that I interviewed in that part of the book they're just so strong and so you know interviewing them I was like god like I don't you know, do I want something this much? Could I ever want something this much to put, to put myself through this? Like there's a couple in there who have gone through 10 rounds of IVF and she's 29 and they've spent, you know, what, probably a hundred thousand dollars, um, trying to make a family and, and it, like seeing the loss that they've gone through. I just think like, yeah, I mean, it's just, and, and, but then balancing that with like, you know, we are also like at this age, I don't know about you, but I'm getting constantly targeted with like fertility tests and egg freezing stuff. And like, there's also that balancing of like the forces trying to make you stress out about it more than sometimes you need to, you know, like I have endo, but I could, that could not end up not being an issue for me. Like it could end up affecting my egg quality and egg implantation and all of that, but like it might not. So yeah, it's a really hard thing to think about. And then when it comes to the workforce Mm. and especially for women, I mean, obviously we have come a long way in that we're allowed to work in the workforce now. I mean, (laughs) there's still still a long way to go. Um, But I think for me personally right now, I I feel like – so at this point right now, if I were to fall pregnant Mm. um, and have a child, I don't think I could give them – I mean, I'm sure that I would, but I don't think – I think I would be very angry because I would have to choose between work, which I love so much mm-hmm. um, and I want to give everything to. Yeah. And then I, I just – and also for my partner as well, we've had we've had the conversation and because both of us have quite demanding roles mm. in, in work, I, I think both of us would have to make sacrifices that we're not willing to right now. Yeah. And so we've kind of come to the conclusion that we're going to wait a bit. Mm. But then I think for me, they're knowing that my biggest fear is that in five years or three years or whatever it might be, that I put my career first mm. and then in five years I find out that I've missed mm. when I, I've, you know, we struggled to fall pregnant and it's because I waited. Mm. 
because I think right now I know that the right choice for us is not to bring a child into the world right now. Mm. But over, when I think of it kind of like in my values in my life, having a family is one of the most important things to me. Yeah. But right now it's not. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. I've kind of in this like – and it's just – I mean it's, it's so true what you said about balancing hope and fear because you hope that you can but then you mm. fear that you can't. Mm. Um, how do you feel about that and just women in the workforce in, in general and navigating it? Yeah, and it's really hard because we definitely grew up on a type of feminism that told us that we can have it all, you know, like you can just make it work and then when you get the high-powered job, you'll just somehow balance it with a family, which is which is honestly like bullshit. <laughs> like not that you can't do it, <laughs> but like you either have to be rich enough that you can outsource some of that care, which is a whole other discussion, or, um, you know, it's just – it's really difficult. And I think it's really hard for millennials in particular because many of us, like, you know, people have been, always been aware of how parenthood interrupts your career trajectory, right? Like, I'm sure that was the case for our mother's generation as well. But I think for our generation, we have been taught to kind of invest our selfhood into our jobs and our identity into our jobs. And not everyone, but um, so when we think about parenthood, it's not just like, oh, it's going to disrupt our earning capacity for a bid or like we might have to shuffle things around finance or wise or whatever. It's like, actually, that's going to disrupt this, like, or take me away from this central place of meaning making. And this is where my identity is. And this is, um, you know, it becomes this like a much bigger question about your selfhood as well, um, which is really difficult. Um, and I don't know what, like, I don't know what the answer to, to that is because I think that, the reality is that just having a child is so much labor and so much, um, work. And, and I think that, and I totally understand that notion of like, you don't want to end up resenting it. Like you don't want to do it before you're ready and then resent like, you know, all the stuff you want to do in your work and, and whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was something I thought about a lot in the book because I was, I I think would say it's less the case now, but I was someone who really defined myself by my job for a very long time. And that's not really where I'm at anymore, but, um, I couldn't like, I was definitely the person who was like, yeah, I'm not going to have kids. I'm going to have a career. Like the career is going to be my thing. But I think even just that binary that it's like the, one or the other is really, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's really, I think we sell ourselves short as well. And we sell definitely sell people who don't choose not to have kids short by being like, well, you didn't have kids. Like, but did you choose the career? Like what's the other thing if it's not the career? And I think mm-hmm. there's so such limited narratives about what, what else, you know, you don't have to have kids and you also don't have to have <laughs> An ambitious career you can have a meaningful life beyond those two things so oh yeah yeah many many different ways you can live your life for sure yeah. so many different decisions um and I mean even f- for me personally uh as a working mom mm. it's you know I'm I'm super super happy as a mom and it's what I wanted and and I was absolutely ready emotionally and everything yeah. and I also really really love my job and love what we do and have a huge passion for that and so even as someone who I would say has an equal passion for both yeah it's still really hard at times to ignore that kind of guilty feeling Mm. when I'm either at home with him or here without him um I think that just comes up so I can only imagine having if I had had him and I wasn't ready yeah and I was still really in that career mindset how much harder that already would have been so Definitely, yeah. <laughs> I can say it's stressful. So if you're not ready, don't do I it. Like you. The um, thing about that is, like, you said the word guilt. Like, it's just 
the thing about anything to do with motherhood or related to the decision to make mother about motherhood is there's always guilt and there's a guilt either mm. way like I know people who have had kids quite young and feel guilty like they fell as a feminist or that there's some kind of you know like, like that kind of which is just such so stupid mm. I mean not not that they're stupid but it's just so unfair that they should have to feel like that and then people who like yeah. have kids but go back to work pretty soon and then feel just racked by guilt that they're at work when they're not with their kid like you you can't win <laughs> mm. like no you can't um yeah you can't it's yeah but I mean, so I mean, other than it being a whole lot of work and and an the emotional sleep. load for me, it's the sleep. <laughs> I see Steph getting no sleep, and I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I mean, you, yeah, you get to when you work it out and you do catch up a bit. But I, I think one of the other things that um, I can say is a fact <laughs> is that the cost of parenthood is huge Mm. (laughs) being a parent and the cost of having a child is huge and I'm sure extremely daunting to so many um, especially at the moment you know the cost of living is so high Mm. property market's impossible to get into for so many is that something throughout your research did did that come up a lot you know the cost of being a parent it did and it's like I think it's I think it was all a lot of it was related to I mean there were the career calculations about money and stuff and who was going to who would take on caring and like all of those things. But I think the bigger kind of thing, financial anxiety was really around stability and security. And like, I think, um, you know, like I'm a, I'm a renter. I've been renting for, for like nine years. And the other day my landlord just like randomly in passing mentioned that my rent in a few months would go up by about 33%. And and my first thought, I was like, oh, God, well, I'm moving out. But my, my, my next thought was like the, right directly below me is a single dad and his kid. And I thought, well, I know they can't afford that. And then I thought like, well, is she still going to be able to go to school up the road? And like that level of stability that comes with, you know, having security. I think people are just kind of like, um, yeah, wondering where they can financially settle down. And I don't know if you guys have had this conversation, but like my friends are constantly having this conversation of like, okay, so we have to leave, um, you know, the capital city we're in. We have to leave it Sydney when we're all going to be priced out. But just like, are we going north or are we going south? Like we're all going to end up leaving, but like where's the commune going to be? <laughs> like, um, so I think, yeah, a lot of the financial anxiety was definitely tied to a sense of like, I can't afford to put my roots down and have a community somewhere because I don't feel financially secure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. It's just, an, I suppose another, another feeling of worry and again, guilt, I think mm. that comes into it because mm. I've, I mean, and then it comes back to as well, are we ever ready? Because I think when yeah. we think about, you know, finances and then mm. where we're at in our careers and, where we're at in our relationship mm. and I when I speak to people about this it's funny um in the, all the conversations I've had about you know the right time which there is no like you, unless the only thing I can find on the internet is my prime fertility age yes which I think is 30.5 I think that's, that's, that's something something like that but apart from that I speak to people and they're like oh I had kids when I was 37 and I fell pregnant really quick mm. and it was so easy and like I'm so happy I waited and then I speak to people that waited to 37 and they're like I wish I did this earlier mm. and then I speak to people that had kids and they were younger and they're like it really affected my life and I wish I waited Mm. and then other people say best thing we did having it earlier (laughs) and then people will say you will know when the right time is and then other people will say there's no right time and because I'm a control freak (laughs) I'm like 
No, no, no. I need to find this. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I feel like yes. someone, I feel, I don't know. I think because you, you at least know that in your future, you want a kid, mm, right? Yes. You're kind of one more step ahead of someone who's still working that one out. One step ahead of me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. But I feel like once you get there, you will start to feel different when you're ready. Mm. I will say So that. you're telling me that the internet is wrong. <laughs> yeah. I do know when I'm going to no, be ready. No, you don't know like 100%, <laughs> but I feel like there's a different feeling. There's a different feeling. But I do, I do think that thing though of being like not a control – not a control thing because, because, you know, obviously I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to write 80,000 words and like, I will fix this and solve this like unsolvable question. So I like fully relate to it. But I think that like everything that came up in the book was, I do think there's a little bit of a, like, I don't know if it's about control, but like that millennial thing of like, there is a perfect decision. And like, if you weigh up your pros and cons and like, there's good. And I just think that's kind of like so many of the, the things in the book, like a lot of them are just things that you kind of have to sit with and may never be completely resolved, whether it is, um, you know, you're never going to be, you know, I'm in a relationship with a man, like there are always going to be things to negotiate in terms of caring and communication and emotional labor. Like the chapter that's all about people being anxious about what they might pass pass on and how their own childhoods have like shaped how they're going to parent and stuff. Like you're never going to be fully therapized and like, (laughs) you know, completely free of your your past and completely non-anxious about the future. Like, you know, we're not perfect people who make perfect decisions. And I think that that watching other people in their lives make the decision to not, or to not, to, you know, to not have kids and live with some of the regret of that and, or to have kids and live with some of the sacrifices of that. Like that was really interesting for me for being like, ah, oh, I could just not be completely neurotic. <laughs> about this <laughs> <laughs> I love it this all yeah, yeah. I, I feel you that's my some I mean I haven't I have to say I do feel though in reading your book because I want to also make it very clear to everyone you need to read this not because you're going to get the answer <laughs> but just because the more information that we have I feel like the more empowered we are mm. to make the decision yeah and there's a lot of good information in there <laughs> anyway <laughs> actually Steffi do you want to ask this question because I feel like it's Yeah, I mean, okay, so this question's kind of around, I feel like we're all kind of looking for our purpose in life Mm -hmm. and I think that's when that decision of whether you're going to become a parent or go down the career path, you know, for some reason we think that that's the only two options we have. Um, You know, for, for me, for example, I was always super passionate about being a mum and mm. ever since I can remember I've, I've wanted to be a mum and it just sits so well in my values and everything and so for me I just felt like it was meant to happen yeah. for me but it's not for everyone and also having like a, a set career trajectory and you know being a boss hustler isn't for everyone either so just in general what would you say for those who are looking for a purpose outside of parenthood like not feeling Mm. like they just need to become a parent because then they've got purpose in life but for purpose outside of being a parent yeah that's a really interesting question I think um and it's so interesting that you say that you knew because I think like early on because I think that I'm so like envious of people that have that either way that just like knew and I think that we're we're kind of socialized to think that 
the answer comes before the question. Like you just kind of know or you mm. don't know. And for me, it was like, well, I didn't know. So I guess I don't want them because I never heard the like the call. Um, and I think it's really valid. Like I'm trying to validate the decision that for many people, like they will fall one way or the other, but it, it can be a complicated and fraught thing. Mm. And that's like nothing to be ashamed of as well. Um, I guess in terms of looking for purpose beyond it, I mean, one thing that I do, this is sort of, an answer within an answer but I do think that considering the question of whether or not you want kids no matter where you land I think it really clarifies your values and what you value in your Mm -hmm. life and what you you know love and fear in yourself and and in your relationships like I think it's a valuable exercise anyway in figuring out what your purpose or what what where you'll find meaning in your life is anyway because it forces you to be really clear about how you spend your time and how you spend your future and how you spend your energy and how you spend your finances and um, all of that. So, I mean, I guess my advice would be to, to ask as many questions as, as possible mm-hmm. of yourself, but also of your, of the people around you. Um, that's a bit of a cop-out answer. I feel like I'm being like, well, no, it's no, it, that's, <laughs> that's, um, that's amazing advice. And the other thing we would love your advice on <laughs> is having the conversation with your partner mm. about kids because I think it is, a, it is a very, very important conversation and it's also an important conversation, I think, when I speak to some of my friends and people that I know about, or more so they've said to me, I feel really sad because this is how it's kind of, it's almost, and they've been female and they're in heterosexual mm. relationships and their partner has said, we're going to have a kid next year and you're going to stop work mm. and I'm taking this promotion and I'm going to travel heaps. Mm. And it's kind of like, hang on, mm-hmm. there's this, obviously I, I know there's this, the really hard thing with, with the, you know, the pay gap that still exists is that often, and also women kind of subconsciously think that they need to not take promotions so then, because they're going to have kids. Mm. And then it means that when, they, when it comes to the decision of who earns more money, it's more likely to be the man. Yeah. Therefore, the woman will sacrifice if they are not both going to keep working. And because obviously childcare is expensive and there's, there's all of these factors. Mm. How do you, I suppose, advise or recommend having that conversation and keeping it open that it's not I just think we need to get out of this place where it's just assumed that Mm. the woman in a heterosexual heterosexual relationship will stop work Mm. and they will have a child when their partner is ready Mm. and when they think you know they want a family and it's not both of their decision yeah absolutely and like I guess tied in with that as well is that there's this kind of I mean, like, I, I think there's an, <clears throat> there's an, another conversation that's quite similar that happens where, um, like a lot of women I've talk, spoken to have said like, well, I'm thinking about this because of my fertility, but because my partner doesn't have to think so much about his fertility, he's not thinking about it. And so we can't even have the conversation yet, even though I'm like, do I need to freeze my eggs? Do I need to like all of these things? It's a really hard one. I mean, one thing that I think is really useful is having conversations that almost come before those conversations about like there's a chapter in the book about emotional labor and one of the reasons why I didn't do the chapter just about domestic labor like I could have easily been like well let's talk about the division of unpaid labor and how much more women do and and I and do a whole chapter on that but I talked about emotional labor because I actually think that that's almost the conversation that comes for women in their early 20s at least that comes before like before you're being like oh he doesn't sack the dishwasher you're kind of being like oh he isn't emotionally expressive and he doesn't care like there's an asymmetry in care and communication and like all those other things that come first and I think that 
almost there's like a million little conversations that almost need to come before that big one about like who is taking who is being the main child carer and they all of those tiny conversations about just care and equality within the relationship almost come before that like I think if you've reached that point where there's an there, that assumption's already there then there <clears throat> there have been a lot of missed opportunities along the way to discuss like why should women be responsible for certain things whether that is the bulk of the child rearing whether that is being the calendar being the alarm clock starting the hard conversations being the caring one being the one responsible for emotional re- regulation in the relationship so yeah I'm, i mean i'm kind of answering it by being like have the conversation before you have the conversation but <laughs> but i mean i think like the, the data kind of speaks for itself like there are a few men who've read the book and been like oh it's just really confronting for me to see the data actually on unpaid labor and what how, for how long it, it interrupts a woman's career trajectory like because we think about it as just maternity leave but we know all the data from their shows like then it's you're in part-time work then it's you get a smaller superannuation then it's and you're doing like the bulk of the care plus full plus part-time work plus domestic labor like I think I don't know sometimes data can be very useful in those kinds of conversations <laughs> Hundred percent, and even like the, I, I think what's really eye-opening. I haven't got to that chapter yet, and mm. I'm really, I'm really excited to read it. I think what's really important is emotional labor is often something that we don't. I think sometimes our brains go to thinking that unless it's like a task, mm. like a tangible thing that mm. we've done, it doesn't count, mm. and we can't bring it up. Mm. And so I think it's really, really important for us, obviously, in relationships, to have more equality in our relationships. Even something like this is obviously a very simple example, mm. but thinking about dinner or thinking about having food in the house like it's not even the cooking it's like it's often on the female Mm. too and I'm I'm lucky in my relationship I don't my partner thinks about food a lot more than I do (laughs) (laughs) I feel like he holds that emotional burden for us but it's that and and he sometimes says to me like I'm so sick of this I have to think of the food that we're going to have in the house all the time and it shouldn't always be on me and I'm like Yes, that's exactly right. It should be equal. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's so important that, that we acknowledge that emotional labor mm. because there is so much of it and it is, you know, the space that it takes up in your mm. mind and the pressure that it puts on us. Mm. Um, it's so important that it's acknowledged. Yeah, definitely. And that's that, it's, the, it's the mental load, exactly what you're saying. It's mm. like, you know, I'm sure you know lots of friends in relationships with men where they'll say, like they're, they're lovely, progressive, sweet guys, but they'll be like, yeah, I'll do the chores. Just tell me which chores to do. Or like, yeah, just write me a list and I'll like, I'll do it. And it's like, it's like, well, why, why do I have to think of the jobs you have to do? Um, so yeah, if that was a, I mean, there were so many people I know who were like, what if you just made the whole book about that chapter? <laughs> <laughs> it's so important. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Um, It's so true though. Okay, so to finish, we want to talk about a very important question that shouldn't be asked. (laughs) That sounds so backwards. But we, I mean, we touched on infertility Mm. and that is one of the reasons why you shouldn't ask this question. Um, But the question of, you know, when are you going to have a baby or are you going to have a baby Mm. often comes up, you know, maybe after a big milestone like moving in with your partner or getting married or even just being in your mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s. Yeah, It's just a question that comes up, whether it's family or a complete stranger, Mm. people ask it. And there's so many reasons why they shouldn't. Um, Mm. Would love, other than infertility, you know, so many reasons outside of that, but I would love to ask you what, 
you say, mm. um, particularly as someone who's still working out for yourself, you know, what you want to actually do, mm. what do you say when someone's asked you this question? Um, it's so, yeah, it's funny because it's, it's just such a personal question. And even as a person who has written an entire book about this and should have been completely prepared for the publicity trail and the questions I was going to be asked, even, even I feel like, oh God, that's intrusive. Or like, you know, even though it's like, well, you've written a whole book about this, like you've got to be okay to be asked this, but it's so, it's such a personal thing. And as you say, like, you don't know if people have been trying to to fall pregnant or if there's a disagreement within the relationship about whether you do or don't want kids or whether there are huge, whether the people in the relationship are just working through all the things that are in the book, like whether it's climate anxiety, whether it's anxiety about finances or whatever. Um, I don't know. I think I'm like, I'm a really big believer in boundaries. Like I think it's actually a really generous thing to let someone you know who cares about you to signal to them you know where your boundaries are and when when you kind of need to push back and I think that whether that's using humor or being like a bit more assertive or straight up I think it's okay to tell people that it's actually none of their business and (laughs) like I really I really believe that and or to kind of deflect and be like well you're gonna ask you know my cousin who's a boy or my you know like Mm. um you know we've all been subject to the sort of like tapping of the wrist the biological clock thing oh my gosh yeah but I think it's also useful to remember with these things that often when someone's asking an inappropriate question like that it's often or sometimes about them like whether it's a grandparent or like a parent who wants a grandchild or whether it's a person who wants to validate their own life choices about having or not having kids or, you know, like Mm. the friend that really wants you to be pregnant too, or the friend that really wants you to say that you're not going to have kids or like, I think um, you need to be wary of people putting their own curiosity above like your privacy and comfort. (laughs) So perfect. Yeah. (laughs) That's a great answer. I've actually never, ever thought about it like that, Mm. but it makes so much sense. Mm. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for everything that you have shared with us today. Thank you for writing this incredible book. We'll put the link in the show notes um, and we highly recommend that everyone reads it. Gina, I'm sure you also recommend that everyone yeah, reads yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Pick it up. <laughs> communal <laughs> recommendation. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for providing this incredible resource and putting it into the world um, and for chatting to us today. We appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me. It was such a nice conversation. Well, we hope you enjoyed that conversation with Gina as much as we did. It's something, it's a conversation that's really, really important to us. We have spoken about it a little bit before on the podcast, but I think as we know a lot of women listen to this podcast, it's something that a lot of us go through in our minds. And so we are very grateful that we got to have Gina on the podcast. As we said, her book will be in our show notes, the link to purchase it. We will also link Keep It Cleaner in the show notes. Our website is www.keepitcleaner.com you we have got a free trial and as Steph said make sure you stay tuned on our socials on Friday for our new workout type announcement it's very very exciting you can follow us at keep it cleaner at Steph Claire Smith at Laura.henshaw and we will be in your ears next week bye